Hello, everybody. It's time to get sticky because we're in the tar pits. And you know that with Mike Bloom at the helm, with Rob Cicerino being absent, we were, of course, get a full Bloom motto for the Tar Pits that may or may not stick around. We shall see. But I'm, I'm so happy to be here for another one of our weekly secondary Amazing Race podcasts here on Reality TV. We're half-ups. Of course, myself, Jessica Lise, and Rob got together to recap episode two of The Amazing Race. But now we're here for some even more shenanigans than we somehow got into with our recap. Let me welcome in our panel for this week's edition of the Tar Pits. Of course... The person who has been in the taxi with us the entire time. And darn it, the driver's been so good. Jessica Lee's Jess, how are you doing? Uh, it's like a movie theater floor and you hear every step, Mike. <laughs> oh, sticky situations abound for many of these teams in this episode, which we will certainly get into. But honk your horns because we are welcoming a very special guest here to the Tar Pits. He is a friend of our HAP and a two-time Amazing Racer in his own right. And some would say in an alternate universe, this guy would have raced on a season with Rob Sesternino. But we were so happy to welcome this guy to our HAP from the Amazing Race seasons 28 and 31. Corey Cool, how's it going? Good. Beep, beep. Is that how you honk the horns? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember, Jess. Like, was it was it like a, a, a novelty horn? Like, did it play La Cucaracha or some sort of, like, variety song in, instead of the usual blare? I mean, it, it makes a noise, but it looked like all of the little horn tubes were hooked up to random notes. And every time <laughs> they honked it, it was like, I, I think that's a song, but I don't know. Mm, could there have been like a horn version of the steel drums where you have to memorize the numbers and honk them in a certain order to play a song? Oh, you know, honestly, now I want to drive a car that plays Deo when you honk the horn. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that would get a little annoying after a while. <laughs> well, let's let's get into this episode because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We've got questions from the audience. We've got social media. We've got some secret scenes. We've got some questions for our guest. We've got a game. Not to mention our exit interview with this week's Boots, Kelly and LaVon, which was conducted by Jess a few days ago, which we're going to save for the end of the podcast. All stuff in store here for the Amazing Race Tar Pit podcast. But first, I'm going to turn to you, Corey, because this is not your first time watching an Amazing Race season after you have raced. But I'm, I'm always so intrigued by the process from the alumni perspective of, you know, are you naturally drawn back to watching the show after you participated is there a certain especially because this is also visiting a location in this particular episode that you have been to uh for a couple of legs back in your original season yeah um i'm always drawn back to it. always equally like as excited as i was before racing whenever a new season starts um because i had been a fan from the beginning i'd watched since season one um one thing i always forget <laughs> though is uh, like what rewatch or watching the episodes once they air always re triggers like race nightmares for me. Um, which is funny because a lot of the uh, race alumni that I've talked to have all kind of shared the same feeling of you have race nightmares either when you're racing or when you get home from when you're racing. I think both Tyler and I. I don't know, maybe because we were successful, didn't have a lot of them while participating or especially once we got back. But both times after my season aired, the following season, when it started, it re-triggers all of these race nightmares every night so far. Both episodes, those Wednesday nights, I had terrible race nightmares all night long. It was not 
Were they were they anything specific? Was it like screwing it's, up a roadblock? Was yeah. it missing the clue? It's always so funny because in most of the time, it's not even me and Tyler racing. It's like me and my dad and he's doing terribly and he like can't get dressed fast enough in his costume and I'm just looking at him like, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> last week, uh, this week's episode, I was racing with um, one of the new housewives of uh, Orange County. She was also <laughs> equally terrible. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's good that it's not like uh, bad dreams of me and Tyler doing terribly. But yes, it's always something like the other person's messing up the roadblock or you can't you're not reading your clue right or your taxi's terrible. Uh, it's <laughs> welcome back to race season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I can't even think about it because I guess, yeah, your amazing race nightmare would be like things out of your control. Oh, yeah. And so I can imagine it's never going to be a situation like, oh, man, I can't balance the wine bottle across the tightrope. It's, you know, hey, my taxi driver doesn't have a phone charger so essentially uh levon and kelly had a waking nightmare of an amazing race leg this past episode yeah well let's talk a little bit more about this like specifically from your opinion Corey, because i know that we we only have you know a couple of episodes down for amazing race 32 i know that jess and i were actually pretty vocal on the recap podcast about how you know we felt as a showcase of columbia uh, maybe some some weirdness going on, and let's let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth because you yourself again spend a couple of legs in Colombia. You went emerald hunting once upon a time, <laughs> like these other racers. What did you feel? I wouldn't say you know directly compared to your own experience, but how did you feel considering you've been and raced in the country? How this leg sort of uh, highlighted the cultural experience of Bogota or lack there. I don't know. It was definitely uh, watching the, the like opening sequence where they race to the salt mines and then they just get their yield uh, hourglasses and then kind of go to sleep. It, it seemed like they were rushed out of the main part of the city in a long, they probably had a long taxi ride that evening as well. Um, mm-hmm. Not to do a whole lot at the salt mines is kind of how I felt. And then the same thing when they were coming back into the city, it, it again was just kind of a long cab ride you could even tell that when you were watching the like bonus footage on youtube a lot of that extra footage this episode was just (laughs) long drawn out conversations in the cabs which uh, as a racer like when you're sitting there and they're turned around filming you and you know you're in for like an hour long cab ride you're like should i be talking what do you want to hear from me (laughs) like you lead this confessional because I'm just sitting here and I can see the GPS says it's going to be an hour. Um, But it Mm. did remind me a lot of the the first leg that we did in Columbia in season 28 because it was kind of a similar situation where we took a very long cab ride out to the um, mud volcano and it just wasn't a whole lot of like action or culture. I think we got a little bit more of it in the second episode of season 28 because we were in Cartagena and in the walled city and got to do a lot of stuff on foot. Um, but I, I kind of felt the same way. I felt like it didn't showcase a, a whole lot of Colombia. Um, I don't know. I wish there would have been a detour because now we've kind of had a couple of episodes without. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I didn't even think about it from like the, the secret scene perspective of essentially imagine having to make small talk with your Uber driver, but now it's like nationally televised, right? Where it's yeah. like, oh, it's going to be an hour and a half to the airport, but we're also reality television characters that are trying to create television. I suppose we have to strike up a conversation about something so that something might make the edit here. 
Yeah, and it's in the same thing. A lot of times you don't really know what to talk about other than the cab, like driver or the ride itself. <laughs> and it's kind of awkward <laughs> when they're sitting there listening to you um, talk about them because, yeah, it's a lot of, I sure hope he's going the right way. Uh, <laughs> I sure hope we're not sitting in this hour-long traffic that everyone else is sitting in. Is there ever um, a point where you're like... You can just leave this one on the cutting room floor. We're just going to stare off into space and not talk for a while. Are you even allowed to do oh, that? N- absolutely. I mean, you can kind of tell if sometimes if it gets quiet and and the cameraman's always in the passenger seat turned around facing you and they'll eventually just kind of start like <laughs> do- dozing off as well. And you're just waiting for that moment for them to put the camera down. Um, and another thing, too, is if you don't necessarily know how long the ride's going to be, the the crew always seems to know how long these cab rides are going to be. So if you see them turning the camera off and setting it down, you know, you're in for like an hour long cab ride (laughs) and there's not a lot you can do for that time period other than just kind of sit and hope that you're um, beating other teams or, or at least uh, maintaining the lead that you have. All right. Well, let's start getting into uh, some questions that we got from the listeners of RHAP, both on Twitter, uh, in the Rob Has a Patrons Facebook group, as well as our, ama- our Amazing Race email address, amazingrace at robhasawebsite.com. Be sure to you know send us all the feedback that you have. Uh, I want to start with a question from Mike Christensen here, because we did see the first official prize of the race was rewarded here, and that Hung and Chi got a vacation to the Swiss Alps. Uh, so Mike Christensen asks, I, I know with a lot of games slash reality shows you don't get prizes until after airing is that the case for race thinking a lot of these international vacation prizes aren't too valuable at the moment so Corey, as someone who firsthand got got many prizes though did not experience nearly as much of a delay in airing between filming and the actual viewing experience do you think that's the case here that hung and chi technically just received their swiss alps vacation i uh, 100% know that they probably just received it. And well, actually, they're not going to until the, the final episode airs. Um, oh, wow. Typically, they reach out after that final episode and they kind of handle all the, at least from the two seasons I was on, um, they handle all of it kind of at the end of the show is the same thing as when they send out all the money to contestants, depending on what place you finished. Um, the first time we were on it was a very short window it ha- we had to like use any of the vacations we had that year um the second time they had extended it so tyler and i still have trips that we need to take from season 31 <laughs> but yeah with yeah, good luck with that <laughs> right with everything covid going on i was you actually remind me that i need to email them and say so are you extending these even more or what yeah i don't know like could you ask for like Sky Mile equivalent back? I'm not entirely sure. Like, how do you refund a reality show prize? I don't we yeah, we have three trips from season 31 that have not been used. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Jess, so what do you think? I mean, you're you're sort of an international travel savant. Should Hung and Chi do anything in particular? I mean, it seems like they're not gonna get their Swiss Alps vacation until December anyway. But I, I just, I don't know what they, could this be like a re-gifting thing? Could they be like, well, <laughs> friends, I know you love the Swiss Alps so much, so why don't you take this vacation on us? Well, is, is the prize transferable? I know at least one of you has to, like, from what I hear, one of you takes it and the other one takes a different one sometimes. But I, I don't know if you can just like outright give it to somebody who's not even on your team. 
Yeah, there's uh, instructions in there if you're like gifting it to somebody else. We <laughs> didn't do that with any of our trips. So uh, I remember like skimming that paragraph, but not paying too close an, uh, attention to it. I mean, I think this is an, a perfect stocking stuffer, right? Of like uh, the, the <laughs> car or the money. Well, the money you could probably keep, but like all these other things that you probably don't need. It's coming out at a perfect time of the holiday season, like if you're worried about what to get, I don't know, your regional boss at your job, get them a trip for two that you know you'll probably not go on for quite some time. <laughs> it's like, that's the epitome of the thought that counts. It's mm. like, here's this thing you can't use for <laughs> at least six more months. Uh, so another question that uh, we got here from at Kelsey underscore X. So we know Rob asked, asked us last week, you know, is there something different with the camera work? And Jess and I had turned a blind eye to it. But it did seem a couple of people were cognizant of one thing that maybe differentiates this season from the ones before it. Kelsey says, one of the things I've noticed is that we're seeing a lot more of the cameramen in shots. And I kind of like it. Do either one of you notice a, a disproportionate number of camera people that are now being seen in the footage this season? I was going to say, I think that's a great question because I definitely notice it, but part of me wonders if subconsciously I notice it because I know the names of certain crew members and I know the names of certain producers. So I certainly, uh, I think ever since I was on season 28, I've always kind of looked to see who I recognize. Mm. Um, I did feel like there was a lot of that in this second episode, especially when they were um, at the truck uh, decorating uh, challenge. I saw a lot of producers and cameramen that I recognize kind of like running around in the backgrounds. Yeah, it sort of seems like if you know who the person is, you would be able to spot them. I think there's a lot of people walking around in the background and it doesn't register with those of us who don't know the production staff, but I could see that being a thing. But also that being said, I remember it was a big deal in the early seasons of Amazing Race. People would would kind of play a game to try to spot cameramen in the shots. Mm. And I think like in the Linda Holmes slash Tarflies days, there was a running joke that there were more cameramen on this show than in most other shows. Yeah. And I, I wonder maybe, you know, in my um, Amazing Race brain, the moment that I feel like that guy sort of drops away as a show was that one season where that team nearly got eliminated before the airport for like losing their passport. And then through social media and through reality mm -hmm. fan forum, it got found. I feel like that was when the Amazing Race was like, we give up. Like we're we're not trying to really like present any sort of uh, gilded curtain approach to this. Like you know what this show is. People are a part of it. People know what's going on. We're just going to present to it as as real as we possibly can right now. That was a classic moment. I think I, I'm sure the show would not. We were talking about last week about how uh, what would we pick as the iconic Amazing Race moments, and I think. That would be one of them for me, but I'm sure the show does not want to highlight the way they told that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, here's how Twitter saved this one person's life in the Amazing Race. So, well, and speaking of people that you know, like I knew every single person in that Twitter exchange. Mm -hmm. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so Caleb WH25 asked, why do Michelle and Victoria keep speaking French? Do they not know where they are? And yeah, this has been picked up by a couple of listeners here on the tar pit that Michelle and Victoria have, I think, just defaulted to speaking French, both between the Caribbean countries and the South American countries that they've been to 
Corey, as an amazing racer yourself, I mean, is there just sort of like a language that your tired brain defaults to no matter what country you land in? I definitely think so. I mean, I or at least I've noticed both times I was racing kind of other teams throwing out like, Spanish words when, when you're not in Spanish speaking countries. And I don't know. I don't know if your brain just realizes, hey, I'm I'm somewhere where they're not speaking English predominantly and I'm just throwing out whatever I do know. Um, but I feel like I for sure noticed it both times. <laughs> I think we were probably a little guilty of it as well. Yeah, I mean, Jess, Michelle and Victoria, I mean, they have a very, you know, storied uh, lineage, but they were all about not only French, but all about NOLA this week between like the the uh, the LSU colors that they were hanging up on the, the truck as well. So I guess they're going to bring a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of Mardi Gras into everything that they do this season. <laughs> That's what we're going to experience here with the sisters. Well, it's it's on brand. You, you got to give them that. It's it's funny, though, because usually the language that people default to on this show is Spanish. And if they're in a Spanish speaking country, that's why I think it stuck out to a lot of people, because you're used to people being in like Vietnam and saying, uh, you know, por favor, rapido. And this is this is kind of a new territory, though, because everybody seems to default to Spanish. And it's the first time we've seen a. First time we've seen a team default to a different language. What do you think is the best language to speak just generically? And why is it Latin? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, Mike, uh, it's I guess base, it's the base of most language. That's my assumption is like, well, some people will at least understand a little bit of what you're saying if you speak to them in Latin. Well, now I can't wait to see Mike like. Mike on the amazing race devolving into like a dead language. <laughs> that would be new. That would yeah, be new material. It's some post facto, please, taxi driver. Vene Vidi Vici. <laughs> I wonder if that's one of the ones Will and James learned yeah. their like phrases. In. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Well, they said there were 10, right? And then they said six, yeah. but 10 phrases in yeah. each one. Oh, yeah. 10 phrases in each of six. That's not that much to memorize. No, it's I mean, it's pretty. It, yeah, I mean, pretty extra credit, though. I mean, if the brain can have, you know, 10 numbers in your head at once to memorize a phone number, I wonder how many phrases you can have in your head for from a linguistic perspective. I mean, we just wrote ours down on note cards. That probably is the easiest thing to do. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> worked for us. So you just what you just like pulled it out of your fanny pack like, oh, this is these are the, the basic phrases for, you know, Cantonese or Swahili. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. Uh, we just took blank note cards. And once you're at an airport and you know where you're flying to, I mean, a lot of times you have hours to use computers and Google things. So that's what we would do. At Lions, Christopher has a question about the new twist on the yield. Before we get into it, actually, Corey, what is your thoughts about? Obviously, you were sort of in a couple of seasons that changed things up with U-turn vote and all that stuff. What are, what are your thoughts about the institution, at least the start of this new Everybody gets an hourglass. Anybody can use the yield at periodic points of the race. I'm definitely interested to see how it plays out and how often um, those little yield boards will pop up. Um, I was kind of actually confused logistically by how it would work had anyone chosen to do it when they were there. Because with the U-turn board or a double U-turn board, a lot of times you don't know who's behind you. And it does kind of have everyone's pictures there. Um so I, I'm assuming it, it's working similarly to that, but uh, I, I like the addition of the twist. I'm just like I said, I, I hope maybe they do kind of put a board in every leg. Um, if there's 11 hourglasses or 10 hourglasses out there floating around, I think 
they should give them ample opportunity to actually use them. And that leads right into Lyons Christopher's question here. The new yield could be fun, but what if someone loses their hourglass like people have lost <laughs> passports? Now, Jess, I know I remember back in the days when the U-turn was first introduced, there was a precedence for this, right? Of like, if you lose it, you can't use it. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting comparison, Mike, but I think, honestly, if you lose it, I I guess nobody's going to give it back to you unless somebody finds it on Twitter and they <laughs> mobilize reality fan form to bring you back your yield hourglass. Yeah, found a 10-minute hourglass in the Amazon. Need to find it to the airport and find the team that dropped it. Yeah, that's definitely going to happen next leg. Someone's going to lose it. Like, drop it in the drop it in the Amazon River. I think you're just kind of screwed. You don't get to use it. But my question would be, how many teams do we think are going to use it? Is everybody going to feel like they need to burn that off? But we have plenty of people that have, like, held on to express passes and not gotten to use them. Or Oh, yeah, could this that- be another oy vey moment where someone didn't use their yield and Phil just says oy vey as he eliminates them after they finish, like, 20 minutes behind the last team? That's a little different from an express pass, isn't it, though? Because the express pass, you can actually, it doesn't hinge on other teams being there. You can just say, I'm not doing this task. Like, F this, I'm going to the next thing. But the yield is really, the yield could basically not screw you at all if you use it incorrectly or if somebody plays it on someone that they think is behind them and is really in front of them. But, Corey, I would guess you usually know who's in front and who's behind. I, I would say yes and no. Almost always you you do. I, the, when we got U-turned in the second episode of 31, that was one day where we truly didn't know who was in front of us, mm. who was behind us. And I think a lot of teams probably felt the same way because when we left the monk task, everyone just kind of scattered all over the streets and you didn't really have a good gauge for who was where. Um But yeah, and same thing, like, I I would love to see if they actually have to pull out the hourglass and, like, have it present, because watching some of the teams run up to the the circus challenge, it's like a lot of them left their bags in the car. You could visibly tell that because they had had their taxis all day. So it's like, do you, does it create a moment where you have to run back to your bag and like pull out this actual hourglass? I really, well, I don't know, actually. I wonder if the tchotchke could like get past TSA, you know, like, do you have to check it? Cause they're like, Oh, are you declaring this, this 20 minute hourglass that you found in our salt mines in Columbia? <laughs> Well, yeah, and that, that also begs the question because Hung and Chi were packed so lightly and they didn't have any ad- additional bags. I don't think they have room for that hourglass. That's what are true. they going to do? Like clip it onto the back like you do a water bottle when you're backpacking? <laughs> yeah, yes. I, do, I do wonder if you could turn it into, into a keychain and try to attach it that way or like maybe keep it on your person, like tape it to the inside of your thigh while you're running or something. <laughs> I just want to see them like holding it the entire time. Like they're they're booking it to the mat and they still have the hourglass in their hand and it's like well I can't I can't put it down until I play it so I'm just stuck with it. I wonder if you could use a, if you have no cards maybe you could just make like a like an IOU one hourglass and just like put it <laughs> on the podium like I'm sorry I lost it but this is what this is symbolic. They must have given them back to the prop people like they must have been able to turn them in and then just be like yeah, yeah hey I need my hourglass bring it over. Part of me thinks that's got to be what happened. Yeah, but then now these poor cameramen have to put it in their bags or give it to the producers, <laughs> unless they just like now have hourglasses at every point in the race now to be like, oh, if someone's using a crap, all right, I guess I better pull it out and, and use it. I've been keeping on my person for like a month at this point. 
Yeah, like they finish the shot and they're like, okay, everybody, hand me all your hourglasses. We're going to pack them away and let me know if you need one. I said, I will never understand how they pick and choose which items they want back from you and which items you're allowed to keep. Mm -hmm. Like that was always the biggest uh, conundrum to us. Like uh, we when we were in Bali, they let us keep these nice blankets that we got to sleep on when we slept outside when we were in dubai they like demanded the gold bathing suits back from us as soon as as, again (laughs) it was so weird they were like i remember checking into that pit stop and then being like okay give us your gold bathing suits and i'm like why do you who wants this what what are you gonna do with it it's a rental yeah we know some people on the internet who are gonna pay millions for this yeah (laughs) How, how much is this going for on ebay i don't know so so to that point do you think that the clown outfits had to have been given back by then do you think circo paratodos was was renting that out to the amazing race uh, well <laughs> that, that's what i would why was when i was re-watching the episode i thought i would like to keep that clown costume <laughs> okay <laughs> you know it's just like fun stuff that you get to keep you just like i said it's it's always so random what they take and what they let you have Mm hmm. Uh, let's let's bring up one more uh, listener question here. And actually, speaking of the circus, Nick Fishman asks, what shade of lipstick is actually your color? So, of course, D'Angelo <laughs> Williams, not too happy about this particular shade of red that he was given. Jess, do you have a particular shade of lipstick? Or I guess we could also say what shade works better for D'Angelo Williams? Did, well, was he merely miffed about just the color of it all? I'm guessing, given D'Angelo Williams' storied history with breast cancer awareness and the fact that he still has pink extensions in his hair, he's going to want a bright pink. And I think I would have demanded that personally. I thought he looked great in the red. Yeah, I did, too. It really popped. Um, But as for me, I don't I haven't worn makeup regularly in eight months, thanks to everything (laughs) being terrible. But I used to I used to have. I used to do that, I guess. I would buy, I ended up, I would buy a red lip color thinking I was getting a bright red and then it would turn out to be like some sort of weird purpley pink and then I was stuck with it. So so I guess that's my color. Is it a bit like, and this is me being just like ignorant male, is this, is this like house paint where like it's the difference between the color that you, you order and like the actual color that it turns out to be? Sometimes. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Well, I, very interesting. Maybe that's the thing that they're like, oh, D'Angelo, you get pink. And he's like, oh, fantastic. This stands so for me. And then it's like fire engine red. And that's what made him so angry. Yeah. I mean, if it advertises, if it advertises pink, it better be pink. Right. <laughs> and actually, there's there's one more quick thing that I want to bring up because uh, this is actually a bit of a, a game changer. According to Reddit user JFARBZZ, apparently... Leg number two, much like leg number one, was a keep on racing leg. Uh, they have found a photo of Phil with uh, with Kaylin and Haley on the mat, and he has the clue prominently displayed in front of him. And I know we spoke about this in the recap about how much the keep on racing leg has already seemed to have an effect on people's just levels of exhaustion. Corey, why are they doing this again? They're making them keep going once more without rest, except for a nap in the salt mines. I mean, it's always so interesting. Like you could tell uh, I when I watched the first episode, you could see other teams walking around in the background while other teams were checking in. So I know it was a keep on racing, but they they pause and give you like two hours to eat lunch or an hour to eat lunch or whatever it may be. Oh, that's good. So they're not monsters. Uh, No, I was going to say... Uh, even yeah, we are Armenia leg in twenty eight was keep on racing and it was exactly that. It was like 
we ran away from Phil with the clue, like, oh my God. And then they're like, wait, 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 just kidding. You can go eat, you can go eat lunch in this little house around the corner. Uh, they're like, it'll be okay. We wrote down what time you, you restart. And then they, yeah, they gave us 90 minutes or something. Um, I think in a, in a, in a country where if you're staying there and actually continuing to race, that's one thing. But when you're all going to the airport and it's all you're all going to reset and be on the exact same flight. It, it's not as panic and as inducing as you would think, because it's like, OK, where are we going to the airport to sit for eight hours? OK, we're all going to be back even. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How does I mean, you obviously did not experience sleeping in the salt mines, but from what you can judge, how does that compare with some of your other sleeping experiences you've had on the race? Those are definitely not the most fun sleeping experiences. It's exactly like I said, I watched the bonus YouTube clips and it was a lot of people complaining about lack of sleep, complaining about other people snoring. Uh, It's it's hmm, it's tough. Some of them are fun. I would say when we did it in Bali, it was kind of nice. But other times you're just like, I would kill for a bed in a nice hotel. That would be lovely. Did you have I can't remember if you ever had a situation where like not even the whole sleeping quote-unquote outdoors thing but just the proximity of it because it does seem to your point about the secret scenes that a lot of people were complaining about particularly d'angelo williams snoring and i can imagine that being able to at least spread out on a street helps that more so than like hey we're cramped within the same like 25 foot radius and now we have to listen to this all night long yeah ours was always that it was always you're cramped in this tiny spot it was never like allowed us to spread out it was like hey you're in the basement of this church hey you're in this weird train station (laughs) hey you're outside in bali um it it's fun at the beginning because you're like oh it's a giant sleepover and everyone gets to know each other but then if you're exhausted you're like oh that team won't shut up and i would actually like to sleep now (laughs) or exactly that i'm a light sleeper and it's like so and so is snoring so loudly and i'm not gonna sleep at all and i'm on concrete with a thin yoga mat and a sleeping bag well how long do you think they could do that indefinitely could we could we see a race with zero pit stops i would be okay with it i mean it's definitely going to be grueling it's grueling it's definitely going to be taxing i think both 28 and 31 there were three or four legs each time where we kind of slept outside or kind of slept in a huge room with everyone kind of on top of each other yeah, so that that could actually be a thing. Yeah, we could see like the first, you know, zero, uh, not zero pit stop, but I guess like zero sustained period of lack of motion between legs, and more so like, yeah, you'll 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 get some Z's in the middle of the leg when our op- hours of operations means you have to like just sleep on the ground for a little bit. Yeah, we were when we were in Laos, we slept in this like hotel lobby and it's like you should have seen when we figured out that's where we were sleeping the people who were fighting over couches and like the kind of comfortable (laughs) chairs that they had and then the people who just kind of parked on the floor yeah that'd be interesting so which one are you (laughs) i took a couch if i remember correctly i think me tyler colin and christy were kind of all off to one side and they were like go ahead you can sleep on that and i said okay (laughs) i'm gonna do it See, this is the thing you know one of the reasons why they sequestered teams during the pit stops was to avoid like oh we don't get any drama because like there's we're not able to film people but now this is how you can have your cake and eat it too right like Mm -hmm. put them in a situation where it's still still technically in the middle of the leg so you can still film them and feel okay but there's going to be drama around who's sleeping where you know who's snoring who's keeping everyone up all night with their gossiping yep 
Yep. I, well, and Corey, I think in your first season, it was like, who's staying up talking all night because they're about to hook up? Yes, <laughs> that was in that uh, basement in church basement in Switzerland. And that was very like giggling, flirting. And we were like, OK, we would like to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go from the listeners to some social media here. Jess, I know that we've compiled some tweets from the racers this season. Where do you want to start off in terms of breaking down what the racers had to say about this week? Or maybe just not about the Amazing Race in general in a couple of these cases. Yeah, I I think we need to start, obviously. Um, there was a little bit of controversy, and we touched on this in the recap, um, about Leo and Alana. And I'm not sure where I'm not sure who was more upset out in the internet. The people that thought that they were showing some kind of internalized racial bias in not assisting the two African-American teams that were still at the task or the people that thought it was ridiculous to even insinuate such a thing, um, which that was a lot of what I saw out there were people saying, I can't believe that people are so sensitive and, you know, rah, 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 uh, and I'm thinking, OK, thanks, white person. Please continue to explain racism to the Internet at large. Um, and I thought that Leo and Alana really handled this situation with the most grace of, I think, any racer I've seen handling controversy. Mm. Like they were they heard. So they heard the the allegations that they were biased and they said, you know, that's probably true. And we're going to work harder and we're not going to deny it. And I thought, especially considering every every single other team stuck up for them. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and I thought Aparna actually had a really great string of tweets oh, yeah. um, relating to this. And so I'm going to go ahead and read what she had to say. Um, she says, alliances are part of the amazing race, just like the mine five was an alliance. And this relates to the five teams that left each of the five teams that left at the same time mm -hmm. um, kind of said they were going to be in alliances for the leg. So there were many alliances that didn't make the edit behind the scenes, Leo and Alana and Haley and Kalen and Ishwar and myself were in an alliance from being the back of the pack and leg one. And Kelly and Levon were in an alliance with the other athletic teams. These alliances can make these alliances can make or break you when it gets to the wire. In this situation, luckily, Haley and Kalen had their alliance members nearby. And those of you saying this move was about things not related to the game, just remember there's a lot that doesn't make the edit. This was about the game. Do you want to race against the Olympians if you're in the bottom? Kelly and Levon are amazing competitors, and we are toasting them tonight. Systemic racism is real, and it definitely runs through all of us. One of the amazing parts of this season is how diverse our cast is and how much we've learned from each other's lives and experiences. Yeah, so obviously a lot to unpack there. I want to I wanna actually go back to the Alliance talk, because we heard the Volley Bros talk this episode about, like, oh, the yield stuff is going to push for alliances earlier than usual. Corey, I, I know that every season is a bit different, but do, is leg two unusually early to not necessarily form alliances, but at least talk with teams about like, yeah, let's let's sort of stick together for this leg? Um, I don't think it's unusual at all. I think thinking back on both 28 and 31, I think I, I watched the, the bonus clips on YouTube and you saw uh, Kaylin and Haley talking about kind of this unspoken alliance they had with Leo and Alana. And I think that's a lot of what you're kind of feeling in the second leg. Um, the first two legs of the race, you're kind of seeing who am I gravitating toward? Who kind of has my back? Uh, Tyler and I were always definitely kind of like dropping hints to kind of see who was like <laughs> willing to pick things up and um, willing to kind of work together. But yeah, I think uh, it's always so interesting also like 
a partner was saying to see to show what they do show as far as alliances go and what they don't. We worked very closely with both Matt and Dana in season 28 and Colin and Christy in season 31. And I don't think they even showed a quarter of what we actually wow, kind of you're, did You're the together. good luck charm, Corey. <laughs> That's what I said. We are really good at picking the winning team <laughs> to ride with to the end. So... Yeah. Well, I'm really curious then, like, I, it's always a question of how much do alliances end up helping you on a show like The Amazing Race, where it's not necessarily, you don't have to vote somebody out. Uh, is there any particular incident you can remember where the alliance made or broke you? Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough because I, I feel like, yeah, in 31, when we were in Uganda, uh, Colin and Christy, we had to count stairs, I think was the first task when we got there. Colin and Christy straight up told us the number of stairs that were there. Um, that was, so we didn't have to count them. Um, same thing. I think uh, when we were in Vietnam and we had to paddle in the boats, Colin and Christy were leaving and they told us the literally told us what the two, uh, detours were. They were like, go in the boats. It's going to be to your strength. Um, so it's it's a lot of little things like that. And I think especially with the way season 31 ended in that penultimate leg with us helping them so much in London, a lot of people kind of questioned that. And I said there were so many little times that they helped us or gave us a tip that wasn't shown that for us to not relay that favor back to them in, in the penultimate leg would have. It just wasn't who we are as people. So it's interesting. So maybe the assumption is like, hey, if you see on the edit someone do something for another team assume that like five little things were done in the reverse off camera i would say absolutely and and i know i think both times we kind of only had that with one team and it's exactly the reason for that it was shown exactly in this episode once leo and alana told the sisters the horn it's kind of like everybody overheard it everybody figured it out so you've got to be very careful with what information you are giving and in every situation, I think with both Matt and Dana and Colin and Christy, it was always kind of private, privatized, like one-on-one conversations yeah. to make sure that we were concealing the information just between our two teams. Yeah, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, I think any sort of disclosing and collusion, Jess, was done uh, pretty sloppily. <laughs> and maybe it's because it's a new <laughs> yeah. team. Maybe they're exhausted, but then being like, yeah, make sure you get the horn. Make sure you put on the horn. <laughs> Between that or Will and James be like, oh, it's the horn. Of course it's the horn. Like it's yeah. I think any sort of obviously there was intention behind what Leo and Alana did that they touched upon, but I, I, it was not done particularly uh, particularly well if you were just trying to be like, well, we want to keep this one team safe and not the other ones. It's it's also so complicated because while you do want to kind of help them and keep it quiet. It's so awkward to go over and whisper in their ears when there's two other teams standing there. Uh, like, it's incredibly an awkward situation. That's why I said most of the information we exchanged was when it was like one on one and you knew you could get away with helping it and not revealing your hand to the other teams. But in a situation where there's that many teams present, I know we would have felt incredibly awkward to go over and just whisper to one team, hey, it's this, and then bail on the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we saw an example of that exact thing happening um, when Will and James rolled up to the roadblock and they hear it's a tightrope and then they have the lengthy conversation about you do it, no, you do it. And I think that's just a tiny thing that nobody has talked about at all but it's exactly the same sort of one team giving another team a piece of information that they can use to help them 
Yeah, and just I guess maybe it also comes down to like placement as well, both in the leg and in terms of number of teams left that like they were still in that mind five. I do wonder if they had somehow ended up in the back of the pack if D'Angelo and Gary would have done the same thing. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of like uh, in Amazing Race 5 when it was Chip and Kim and the twins and Chip was doing that whole thing of like, I'm going to yield you twins. I'm not going to yield you. Don't worry. Then he finds out like they're in last and he's like, oh, crap. Uh, I do wonder <laughs> if that would have been a situation where they would have been a bit more withholding about whether or not you know they wanted to see james scramble on a tightrope then like oh we're, we're in a comfortable position right now we're cool yeah well speaking of will and james we also had um there were many there were many many tweets to this effect um because will and james were they were a little testy about how they came across in the episode and i thought it was kind of hilarious actually but uh, james says let's be real will and i were that team this episode I won't deny it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. We supported each other through the lows. We overcame the problem together and we survived leg number two with lessons learned. And then he has the funny thing is I copied all of the tweets into a text document before I put them in our document. And it literally spells out all of the emojis. So then it says smiling face with three hearts. <laughs> I like this. I think this is you actually got into the code of it. Yeah. Yeah, we got into I've kind of cracked the code. But another thing that Will and James were doing is every time somebody was getting after them for not reading the clue, they had some boilerplate. They were responding with, hey, we hadn't slept in 48 hours. Um, we're usually much better than that. And I, I think especially being a super fan of the show, it's got to be frustrating when you get dinged for all the stuff that you were armchair quarterbacking before you watched it. And I'm sure, Corey, you have a million occasions where that happened to you as well. Absolutely. Um and I, I I know Will and James personally, so I don't know if it's me watching, the, seeing something differently on the screen than other people are seeing. But I thought uh, they handled the situation very well. At the end of the day, they laughed at themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big difference mm-hmm. between teams who do well and teams who struggle. If you something happens and you let yourself um, kind of stress about it and let it eat at you and just stay mad... You're not going to bounce back. Um, I knew he was kind of worried. James is kind of worried about like bickering in this episode. Um, and it was funny, right? When it finished, I thought they were fine. They were literally laughing at themselves in that last confessional. They knew they made a mistake. They're grateful that they survived. But I didn't think it was uh, too bad or too much. Yeah, I I really didn't either. They yeah. didn't go like full Dave and Rachel on each other. Right. <laughs> Corey, is there, uh, is there a general rule you would advise to alumni as to like whether or not to respond to people on social media? Because this will certainly not be the last time that they'll, people will slide into their mentions being like, how, why, were, why are you doing this? You are so dumb. I don't, I don't know. I, I think I did a very good job of kind of ignoring that or avoiding it. Or maybe I had all the right people muted on Twitter both times when we were on the show. I would definitely say, don't go on Facebook. Nothing good is happening over there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I think Tyler and I always kind of, did well because we knew who we are as people and we knew what our intentions were and people are going to have an opinion about you one way or another. Um, I tended to ignore that and just focus on like the texts and the, the messages that I was receiving from people that I knew in real life, Mm. because those are what 
are important and and you do get so many of those um as the episodes are airing each week and those are kind of the things i responded to and gravitated toward just as there should there be a macro that amazing racers create that they can just sort of plug and play if they do want to respond of sort of like what james and will <laughs> did of like hey what you missed in insert location here was that at insert task here we were running on very little sleep you don't see everything on the amazing race like just that all that sort of boilerplate text that they can put in at any time yeah, well, that's sort of like uh, the guy that played Biff in the Back to the Future movies has a card that he hands to people when he when they recognize him that has like all the answers to all the questions that people typically <laughs> ask him. That, that would be so ideal. Yeah, there needs to just be some like plug and play kind of tweets that you have ready to go. Yeah, I think I think CBS should provide those actually of like, here's how you respond <laughs> to these questions. Like, yes, we went, we go to the bathroom. Yes, we're given time to sleep. You don't see everything. Just like some nice phrases you can throw out on the fly for when irascible fans come at you for things that you do. Yeah, like Amazing Race 101. Yeah, exactly. In, in, in a manner of speaking, uh, which we could certainly actually uh, let's 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 get to some Amazing Race 101 because we actually do have since we have an Amazing Racer here. It's actually very serendipitous, Corey, because we actually had a good amount of chatter in our patron group about, you know, hey, I haven't watched the Amazing Race in a while. So I have these questions as to how things are different or if they're allowed to do certain things. So essentially, we're going to serve as that sort of FAQ that you were just talking about. Uh, so Perfect. let's let's have the George of 2019 take us into the <laughs> beloved segment, Amazing Race 101. <laughs> Amazing Race 101. I'm assuming George's voice has changed at this point, right? Between I, the Amazing Race. Seasons. I can't believe that's the same child. <laughs> <laughs> that was adorable. Yeah, he's... He's much. I should make him record a new drop. Actually, yeah, do it to the Deo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Jess, what questions do we have for our in the Amazing Race hot seat for our alum here that that are the listeners of RHAP want to know about? Well, I had a. There is a question that frequently comes up uh, when we're when we're discussing the show, and I used to know what the answer was, but I don't know what the answer is anymore. So this is something that will be helpful to me as well going forward. So we had um, in our in our patron group, Garrett wanted to know, he said, I just started watching Amazing Race for the first time, and I'm wondering how the money works. It's actually always been my question. Does CBS just give them like a giant checking account with a card that they use for all the taxis and play rides? Or do they pay themselves? Or do they just tell people they're a part of the race and it's a charge account? Logistically, it seems like a nightmare. Do they get passes to not have to spend two hours going through TSA every time they jump on a plane? It doesn't make sense. Okay, so yeah, um, it's still very much like the old school episodes where you would see them rip the clue and it's like you have $30 for this leg of the race. It still was that every time for both 28 and 31. Um, it's always in U.S. currency. Uh, and yeah, it's you get you get what you get. Um, <laughs> and you also kind of have to weigh in whether or not you're going to spend any of that on uh, food like at the mm. airport if you're if you're at the airport all day right because i remember there was um, that one scene i think from last season where like the afghanimals bought all that fast food for you guys right yes yes i will say i don't know if it changed from 28 to 31 but i felt like they gave us more money in 31 for for airport food mm. i felt like when we were on 28 we didn't spend any of that additional money we were just always so afraid to get in a pinch and not have enough money for a cab or not have enough money um, for a bus or what have you. So I was very strict on 28 and would not let Tyler spend any money on anything. Um, 
they once you've got that money, they uh, if you roll over any of it from episode to episode, you can keep that. So you can build kind of a surplus going into it. Um, as far as the plane rides go, um, once you go to the airport, if you're booking in real time when you're there, your crew that you have that day has a credit card that they'll put the four flights on because you always need a flight for you, your partner, and then your audio and your um, cameraman. So you're always actually buying four tickets, but that always gets thrown on someone's corporate card. <laughs> not, not ours. Do you think the extra b- budget came in for season 31 because they're dealing with reality stars and bigger heads? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I just remember we were always at the airport and Colin was always like getting a popsicle or a piece of cake a popsicle. or like a chocolate fudge bar. And we were, and I was just always looking at like, how is he frivolously spending this money? Um, and I remember going into the final leg in leg four, uh, we had so much more extra money than they did. And I thought, or in the, the final leg of season 31, I was like, we have so much more money than they do comparing at the airport. I was like, we could have had popsicles too. We, <laughs> we could have had cake. We could have had all the sweet treats that Colin bought for himself. Uh, um, but we were just so afraid. I remember, yeah, in season 28, I think it was when we were leaving Armenia, we all kind of got shocked by a, a every team that was left in got shocked by the price of a cab ride to the airport and we were like thank god we had extra money because everyone else kind of like cleaned out their reserve and i i think i was just always very in my head about that wow jess who would have been who would have thought that colin would have turned from veruca salt from one season into augustus gloop in the other season <laughs> he i mean he has a sweet tooth and yeah you would he would always come around with like one of those like good humor ice cream bars and we were always like where hey, where did you even find <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, and he was <laughs> available at airports no and it's like tyler's looking at me like can i please have a hamburger and i'm like no they'll they'll feed us when we're at the hotel later well this would have been the hardest thing for me and i certainly wouldn't be getting good humor ice cream bars i'd be in there getting like the weirdest foreign snack i could find every single place i was yeah but i'd I'd hope i have a partner that would rein me in on that And and it's it's interesting, though, because this never comes up anymore on the show. I think it's been at least 10 seasons since yeah. we've seen a team run out of money on a leg. Yeah, they clearly I mean, when they when they do the route, um, they clearly figure out how much an average cab ride should be, how much a train ride would be. Um, they've got all of that. All that's how they determine is what I assume, like the thirty dollars that you get or the one dollar that you get. Um, but no, it's still very, very much like that from the the early seasons they just do not show it anymore and it's always in that first clue when you rip to start the day well actually speaking of clues i want to i want to play something for you because this isn't a question but i was i was watching a, a secret scene with leo and alana and they talk through their clue sorting process uh and typical to leo and alana it's very it's very comprehensive so uh, we'll listen to it and then i want to talk to you Corey, about like how much in the sense of normalcy is this an actual strategy so here here's leo and alana so we have a system for organizing the fanny pack where once we've received our next uh, clue, which means that we've completed the previous clue, we put it in facing down. And then, and it's also going in chronological order, ascending toward my abdomen. And so the oldest clues are facing down and furthest out. And then they go boop, 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 boop. And then the final clue that we're working on 
or we just received is up. And because you got to keep the fanny pack organized, um, or else it's chaos more so than it already is. Behind us. So yeah, let's talk about this because this like astounded me to no end that there would this be like librarian level of organization to the fanny pack, including the orientation of the clue determines what whether it's an active clue or an inactive clue. Corey, is this is this outside the realm of possibility for an amazing racing to actually think through? No, this is a right on par with something Tyler and I did uh, both times we were on the race. I should say I, because I was always in charge of the fanny pack. <laughs> I was always the clue holder. Um, yeah, the the fanny packs that you get are actually quite big, and there's lots of little pockets and lots of like kind of hidden zippers inside. So you definitely, it's like weird. You definitely need a strategy for how to keep that organized. Um, we had like a pocket for money. We had a pocket for our passports. Ours had a little like bag almost inside of it. There was like this additional like kind of zip bag that was attached on the inside. Any of the clues that were done with for the day, I would put in that internal like zipped box or zipped bag. And then the most recent clue was always on the outside. It was very similar to what they were saying. Um, but yes, I, you have to like clean it up. I just don't think you realize how much information you get throughout the day. Every single clue that you open has like an additional information mm-hmm. clue that has, um, stuff on it there when you go through your like practice run you're, when you're at the hotel before you even leave they do like a practice uh run of things through like a uh banquet <laughs> room in there oh. where they let yeah oh. where they let you like rip clues um and they always say like they're like do not throw that little yellow ripped piece on the ground they're like do not litter do not they're like keep it clean so yeah it's like you're keeping all these little notes and everything and you're storing it away i when i saw that i was like they are very smart that is something you should definitely be doing if you ever go on the race you need to come up with like an organization strategy for your clues because especially yeah we saw it at the trucks how often so many of those teams needed to re-reference a clue. When you open that, and there's especially when it's at the end of the day, and there's five different envelopes in there, and there's nine hundred different papers, you need to find which one you're actually looking for. So we would we would do something very similar whenever we were in cabs, or if someone was at someone was performing a roadblock. Oftentimes, the other person was then utilizing that time to kind of stay organized, at least yes. for us. So I have two questions about that. Yes, and they're really frivolous, stupid questions. But question number one. You give the clues back at the end of each leg, right? Yes. Okay, they, so, so that's so that's unlike much like the golden underwear, it's something that is returned at the end of each leg. Yes, it is returned at the end of each leg. Yes. And so if you're a smart team, you're sitting there once you've checked in and they take you to the kind of the holding staging area before you're ushered off to wherever you're sleeping that night. Um they come and collect all that information. So a lot of the, and you're not allowed to talk to the teams once Mm -hmm. you're checked in anyway. So a lot of people are sitting there writing down everything that was in those clues before they hand the papers in. Right. Cause there might be a memory task of it. Yes. Yep. And um, the other question of course is, do you get to keep the fanny pack at the end of the race? No. What? (laughs) No, they took it both times. I was pissed. That's that's something you like run the entire race with. There's gotta be some emotional attachment to it. Yeah, I re- and I remember the first time it was like all frayed and kind of beat up. And I'm like, what are you going to do with this? Like, why do you want this back? Um, yeah, they, they take it all. I think I snuck one 
one clue the second time. I think the one the one that was like, okay, go to Phil, check in. I've got that floating around here somewhere. I was like, you're not taking this from me. Now, I want to go back to the simulated race run within a hotel ballroom. That's yes, done yes, yes. That is <laughs> yes. incredible to me. Do you actually yeah. have to like run around the ballroom or is it just like, we're going to practice opening clues together? No, it's like, okay, so you go into the like ballroom that you get called down one at a time and then there's like a cameraman with his camera uh they let you kind of feel how heavy the bags are for the audio and the camera guys too so they're like don't be a dick when they're struggling to keep up with you guys because they're carrying an additional hundred um but anyways yeah you like rip uh you rip a clue and it's like uh search the ballroom for something and then you Yes, there's a U-turn board uh, and it's got like pictures of the previous uh, season that was ahead of you. So you get to like pick who you want to U-turn. There's a there's a roadblock that involves like Legos. Uh, There's a detour that involves like doing push ups or eating a bunch of bread. (laughs) You you do like a whole episode around a little banquet hall. Uh, well, um, I think we found then, what the then, Amazing Race 33 is going to be. Spoiler yes, alert. <laughs> and then you check into the mat and they're like, congrats, you're safe. And you're like, oh, thank God. Does anyone get eliminated? <laughs> I haven't seen anyone yet. That'd be but... interesting if they actually put 12 teams in sequester and the team that like failed to do the Amazing Race, you're like, well, you didn't make the first cut because you proved to not be good in the ballroom. Yeah. Is that how you find out you're finally going to get to go on the show? Right. If you pass that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I don't know what I would choose just between eat a lot of bread or do push-ups. I really can't. I really can't I th- think of it. No, no. Well, I don't. But I swear they said uh, anyone who's started eating the bread has. Oh, it's a big loaf of bread. Um, anyone who's. <laughs> I swear they told us anyone who's ever started eating the bread uh, has quit and done. It's like do ten push-ups. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I love this. Oh, this. I. This is just. Shouldn't they film that and put me. that in the bonus footage? Oh, I've never heard about this. And we did it both times. Both, both times. times. I, when they walked us down there to do it for 31, we're like, this again? <laughs> I, Yeah, and I, I'm just trying to think, of, like, I don't think they do this for any other shows. Like, they don't take Survivor contestants preseason. They're like, all right, guys, we're going to simulate an immunity challenge where you have well, to stack blocks well, into tribal council. Mike, actually, I can, I can quibble on that. They do it for Jeopardy. Oh, they have you play a game of Jeopardy? Yeah, you have to play a simulated Jeopardy game. And uh, they have, like, one of the producers stands in for Alex, and they show you the clues, you practice buzzing in, and you give your answers. And I, this was actually why I screwed up on Jeopardy so badly, because I was annihilating everybody in the practice game. Went where I had, like, $40,000, and they all had, like, $200. And, like, I, I, it was mostly because I got to make it a true daily double mm. in the practice game, and then the actual game didn't go so well. So I feel <laughs> like this could this could definitely have screwed my Jeopardy game as this stupid practice game. Oh, I, I thought the, they do it for most. I thought it was you ate too much bread in the practice round before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had this they had this whole loaf on the craft services table, and I right. just went to town on that. We'll see. And it's they they do it because they want you to um, kind of practice the framing for the cameras, because mm-hmm. like I said, it is very frantic and you kind of rip the clue in, in the ca- a lot of times, <laughs> both in the ballroom and on the actual course, uh, you're ripping a clue and the cameramen are like, hey, 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 turn to us. Look at us. Look at us over here. So you like practice yeah. turning and reading it to them so that 
you're not all over the place. There's a particular way you hold that clue to rip it. I have noticed everybody just nails that. Yeah, so, it's because the banquet room practice. That's so I'm interesting. You. I think, you know, so admittedly, <laughs> yeah. uh, my work did like uh, for their summer retreat, did like an amazing race thing. I wish that I had provided the expertise to say, like, don't leave the rip things behind because that campground we were on was littered <laughs> with those little little strips that people were just like, yeah, throw them away. We are, we're on a race. There's no time to, to pick things up. <laughs> Only to realize that like the show itself does not sanction that. You you have to pick up after yourself. Uh, where, yep. Jess, what's another uh, one-on-one question we have for Corey? Though I don't know what can one-up the right. amazing ballroom <laughs> leg. Yeah, well, this is amazing. You actually already answered one of the questions we had. But um, this is another money-related question. And it's something that I knew the answer to in the like single-digit seasons. But I don't know this anymore. Uh, but John Scholl says, I wondered a while, does anyone know if the teams still get emergency money? It was never on TV, but racers talked about it later. Once per season, you could get an emergency like $200. The story I remember hearing is Tramiel and Talisha knowing they were getting eliminated in season three, so they requested their cash and bought souvenirs. The site, the, um, he says this site mentions it without, without much detail, and I don't know if it's up to date. I think he must be referring to either Tarflies or the Amazing Race Wiki. Um, yeah, no, we, they didn't have any sort of thing like that, uh, for either season 28 or 31. It was kind of, if you run out of cash, uh, figure it out. And I know uh, the rules changed a lot too, whereas there's like no begging, no, um, asking for additional money. So I think that's why we were always hypersensitive Mm. to not not buying ice cream with us. Well, I was going to say, like, uh, I guess to your point, I wondered if it was a rule if he could sell something. Because, I mean, you've also appeared, you know, especially on the social media season, I can imagine people being like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm Tyler Oakley. Uh, do you want, like, my, <laughs> do you want, like, my wristband for, like, $50? Yeah, well, I know none, you're none not allowed that. to, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to trade your personal effects because a team got dinged for that one time. But I I would imagine you could sell selfies. Couldn't you be like, hey, yeah, uh, maybe I, I don't know. I, we didn't try it. Could you, could you have signed those note cards you had with the language on it as autographs? Maybe. But it's the thing is people only recognized Tyler at airports. I don't think once when we were actually like on the course out in the field that anyone ever said, oh, is that Tyler Oakley? Yeah, I remember other teams getting recognized, but I was surprised that Tyler never did. We were just too fast. We were just all over. Is that blur, Tyler? Yeah, down. <laughs> we were just running everywhere. Wow, that team that ran past us really fast. That guy sort of looked like Tyler. Huh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. that's yeah. I was gonna say yeah. So no, we had no additional emergency parachute funds or anything like that. Yeah, the one time I'd heard about it, uh, the people speculated that it got deployed um, when Colin got arrested in Tanzania in season five. Uh, but there, that was never confirmed, I don't think. Well, they used it to like bail him out? Yeah, or they used it to bribe. Mm. I think uh, he kind of told us a little bit about that situation. And yeah, it sounded like it was just leg money that they had kind of accumulated up that was additional. Hmm. That makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, I, it yeah. does also feel like Colin sort of had your similar strategy in season five, right? Just being like very stringent with the money that it would make sense. They had a surplus of funds to help get someone possibly <laughs> out of jail. Yeah, like tuck half your cash away for the bail fund later. 
That's listen, we would always do that too when when dealing with cabs. It's like don't pull out your handful of cash and say, How much? It's like we had a, a reserve area of our like extra cash so that um we made sure we were pay, paying like fair prices and everything. Yeah. And did you have to exchange money in most places or could you just give them US dollars? It was uh, thinking back on it, I think most of the almost every instance they just took US if we offered it to them. I remember in twenty eight it felt like we were much more strategic about trying to exchange uh and then i think in 31 we were just like everyone's gonna take (laughs) u.s currency and if they don't we'll figure it out I'm going to go back to just a couple of, of quick racer tweets because it was just such a brilliant segue into Amazing Race 101 yeah. that I, I want to go back because uh, it's true. Kelly and Levon were, uh, you know, they were super good TV just in general. Uh, and I want to read out a tweet from Kelly that says, <laughs> for the next two weeks, I'm going to walk around challenging people to random shit in the streets to redeem myself. <laughs> LOL. If you see me in the streets and you don't want the smoke, dot, 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 go the other way. LOL. <laughs> So I want to see if she's accomplished the task at this point. But yeah, suffice it to say, if you find Kelly in the street and she be prepared to get challenged to something, evidently. I, I wish that I'd seen that tweet before the exit interview, because that would have been that would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm just confused as to like what like is it going to be a race? Because obviously I think she would dominate a race. But I'm wondering if it's more like the Lego stacking or push ups. You know, is it going to be any old task or is it something specific to her? She's She's going to whip a loaf of bread out of her bag. Yeah, I was like, she's going to fall back on the banquet walk through for sure. (laughs) Like, oh, God, I'm going to challenge you. Like, all right, fine. Great. Eat this bread that's in my pocket. (laughs) It was a big loaf. (laughs) (laughs) Like bigger than a football. It was like a big old loaf of sourdough. And by the way, we should mention that I think at the end of this podcast is when we will cut to Kelly and Levon's exit interview with you, Jess. Uh, Do you want to give a bit of a teaser uh, as to what to expect from Kelly and Levon? Uh, well, they were they were a lot of fun. They're they're quite funny. They had um they had quite a bit to say about the cab driver, and uh, we call uh, him out by name, Evangelista. So, yep, uh, I mean that poor guy. He's if he's on social media at all, I'm sure he's being shamed by all of his friends. Yeah, there's an, an Evangelista's <laughs> cancel party going on on Twitter right now. It really is. Yeah, that that poor guy. But maybe he's become a better cab driver for it. It's going to be a real life changing moment for him. He's like, you know what? I've always wanted to dance and I never wanted to be a cab driver. Now made me realize like that. This is not my true calling. Yep. I'm going to walk away from it. It was, you know, it was my first day on the job and it was also my last. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, I want to read a tweet here that's not necessarily Amazing Race related, but it's from an alumni (laughs) and it's a hot take on its own because, you know, the Halloween season is approaching us. D'Angelo Williams tweeted, I will not tolerate the disrespect of candy corn on my timeline. And Mike, I got to give you a little more context to that because D'Angelo Williams full on spent a full hour defending candy (laughs) corn on Twitter. So like this is one of many. Yeah, this was one. This has exemplified the strong stance that he took. But yeah, he was he was very lit up about candy corn. Wow. Who would have thought that D'Angelo Williams and our own Chappelle had something in common? Their their shared love for candy corn. Corey, is, is D'Angelo in the right here? Are his colors, was it orange, yellow, and uh, and white in honor of candy corn, apparently? I Listen, I like candy corn. I'll eat it. I'll enjoy it. <laughs> I'm here for it. I guess I, I agree with him. 
Yeah, maybe there's going to be a gross eating challenge later on where they have to eat like handfuls of candy corn. And Daniel Williams is like, "I finally, <laughs> this is my challenge. This is my now. Yeah, I was bred for this." Exactly. Yeah, I ate the bread. Now I can eat the candy corn. No problem. <laughs> and then Gary's probably like dropping fistfuls of it as he tries to make it in his mouth, and he's missing. <laughs> oh, Gary. Gary calls out. I, I, Gary actually called out D'Angelo here too, right on Twitter. He said, "I think the backflip wasn't needed. You show off." LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Phil was so surprised by that. You, Phil's reaction was like very genuine. I think that shows that like Phil is not necessarily the biggest follower of the NFL because I do think that like I don't know. I'm assuming D'Angelo Williams did that in his touchdown dances a couple times. That like he he doesn't necessarily remember that of D'Angelo Williams' NFL career that he's just like. Whoa, football players. I thought you guys like run into each other. I didn't realize you're actually spry. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to surprise Phil with anything. Yeah, that's very true as well. So I guess he was maybe I just love that it was it almost felt like a duel to me to a certain extent where like Phil's like, <laughs> I put up my person, now you put up yours, and it was like a competition to see who would reign supreme. Well, who did win that? I mean, D'Angelo didn't have the soccer ball between his knees like the other guy did. But he also had a backpack on. No, did he? He took it off, didn't he? I can't. There's no way he did that with the backpack. Okay, I was gonna say if he did it with the backpack on, he'd get a, a win, no question. But well, uh, yes, I would. I would agree with yeah, that. So maybe, I think he did the thing where you drop your backpack 20 feet from the pit stop. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, but, but do you think he would have run back and put it on, much like the hourglass prop, if he wanted to like show off really by, <laughs> by doing a flip with it on? He could have. I feel like that throws off your center of gravity. Oh, definitively. I, absolutely. Which makes it even more impressive that like now you have a massive weight on your back and you're trying to throw your weight even more forward back to to be able to land on your feet. And I that, think it's much easier to do that with a soccer ball. I was just saying that bonus footage clip of them made it sound like he has a lot of cold weather apparel in his bag. So maybe it's heavier than some of the others. Oh, yeah. There's a, there was a lot of talk. I remember in that first leg about like Hung and Chi, of course, and their super minimalist approach did not bring any cold weather gear. D'Angelo Williams is apparently flush with it. So maybe we'll now be seeing <laughs> Hung and Chi running around with like the cinnamon and sugar apparel uh, this these next couple of episodes. You never see Amazing Racers trade clothes because they have to wear their colors. I guess that's true. Yeah, Corey, did you do any sort of apparel trading over the course of either one of your seasons? In 28, we left a a bunch of clothes at the hotel with like a note that said, someone take this or someone donate this, please, because we were lightening our bags. But I will say it's such a huge difference between we filmed 28 in November and we filmed 31 in June. So just knowing that we didn't even have to pack some of the colder weather apparel that we did for 28, our bags were so much lighter the second time. And didn't they give you coats when you were in Switzerland? Yes, they say, I mean, they don't give you any information for packing. Like, that's all on you. But I think there is one note that's like, if we're going somewhere super cold, we will give you what you need to survive. And yeah, that uh, when we were in the French Alps, they gave us all the snow pants, all the jackets, uh, mittens, all that. Did you have to give it back at the end of the leg? (laughs) You sure did. (laughs) You sure did. Boots. They gave you everything. And I think, yeah, they gave us a, like those, like a buff kind of like a North face buff or something too. And they like asked for that back. I'm like, why do you want it all back? Well, speaking of cinnamon and sugar, I actually got a a message for a little something we could do. Uh, Carolina Panther sports ball blue pullovers with nicknames on them as cinnamon and sugar, uh, which is also a reference to their podcast. That being said, you should make up nicknames for the rest of the teams and basically try to figure out who we can differentiate from who. So, like, for example, for the Volley Bros, Gerald suggested Set and Spike 
Ooh. <laughs> so I'll I'll give an example here. Uh, I think it's you could very Ooh. easily uh, differentiate between Aparna and Eastwar, but I think you could call them like one and zero ah, in honor yes. of their computer skills. Yeah, that's, yes, that's great. <laughs> Are there any other ideas? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, I mean, Victoria and Michelle could be Bon and Tom. <laughs> oh, I like that Bon and Tom. Uh, bon Tom. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. Or like No and La. There you go. There you go. I feel like could could Kaylin and Haley be like buy and sell or like something <laughs> real estate related? I think you want to adopt a term of commerce as your personal nickname <laughs> is that saying something about them that one is named buy and one is named sell <laughs> yeah it really i, I i'm not sure we, i don't sure that's a place we want to go mm, do you have a suggestion because killing Haley is the one that i'm really sort of hung up on i i would struggle with that as well but i i feel bad saying it but i was like halfway through the second episode and it's like they finally appeared on screen and i was like have they gotten zero airtime at all this episode <laughs> i was like i forgot they were racing for a moment yeah they got the purple edit and i'm still i have to admit i'm still having a little bit of trouble telling which one is which like i yeah see that's the thing that's what that's what a nickname yep. well, i don't with. know yeah. the nickname is arbitrary and it's just a term about what they do for a living i kind of don't think that's going to help it didn't because I was like, oh, they're real estate agents. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that. That's all we really know about them. They got helped by Leo and Alana and their real estate agents and their sisters. Yeah. I mean, I had I had more luck telling the 20s apart at this point in the race. Yeah, that's true. And they didn't even have the Survivor Samuel Del Sor difference in hairstyles. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Maybe they, one of them needs a change in hair and then we can really figure out who's who based we, on that. We can hope for a shave your head uh, fast forward. <laughs> Or just, like, save one side yeah. of your head, you know? If there's, like, a Skrillex challenge in... <laughs> I was going to ask whatever country Skrillex from, but I'm pretty sure he's American. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, yep, he is, thanks. so never thanks mind. fact-checking that, Mike. Unless I'm just fact-checking my own ineptitude. Uh, but I, th- I think that's something we, we should keep in the back of our heads for the, for the rest of this, unlike Skrillex's haircut, of, like, ways we can differentiate between the two. Uh, especially, again, those same-sex teams like we talk about, like the Volley Bros, who just, like, seem completely indistinguishable, even though they're not exactly twins. It seems like yeah, I, had, I've... I had somebody message me with a tip on that. Um, but, yeah, Haley is apparently shorter. And uh, Kaylin has a nose ring, so... Hmm. Oh, that should help us out. Okay, so we've got what we've got. Ring is is Kaylin, <laughs> and then I'm trying to figure out what what's another name we can come up with for Haley. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Ring and Short. <laughs> okay, that's not gonna help me remember. <laughs> no, it's no. really not. It's not gonna stick. But we'll work on some mnemonics. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know what it is? Okay, Haley has the shorter name, and she's oh, the there you go, Mike. <laughs> easier to easy easy to five come letters up with. and seven letters that's what we'll call them now <laughs> <laughs> that's the most gen- five letters in your name and seven letters in your name that's how we can tell that's you apart, tell you apart. Uh, we just need uh some roadblocks to kind of let some of the individual personalities shine well that didn't even help with the volley bros because one of them they said like okay one of them will do heights and one of them will do puzzles but i've forgotten which one said they'll do yeah. which I'm really struggling with names so far this season, and I'm like, is it because we're only two episodes in or what? Yeah, I think it also seems to me like we frequently have the Amazing Race teams that are like the something 
and they both have the same hair color and of course they're always wearing the same matching outfits and i feel like maybe they've upped the they've ratcheted up on the on the identities with the matching hair and the matching outfits like for a long time it felt like if somebody applied for the race and they had they were blonde and they had a friend who was a brunette they'd be like well, okay if you could go on the show but one of you's got to dye your hair so you have the same hair color <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know. Maybe they want it to be like, well, under this guise, it's not two people. It's just one person that can be in two places at once. And so it makes it even that more impressive when you're running the race. You you race as a single entity. Exactly. Like, oh, my God, I didn't realize they were two people. I, mean, there was, I thought it was a camera trick when they were standing next to each other, like Lindsay Lohan and the parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to finish things off, uh, before we get to the exit interview, Jess, I know that you have one final trick up your sleeve. You have a game prepared for this week of the Tar Pits. Yep, there's homework. Um, so <laughs> basically, I, I've had a few people ask me, and I think these have got to be like among the more boring people in our fan group. But, <laughs> oh, jeez, Jess! <laughs> but like, I've had a few people say, well, you know, you are the person that works in the travel industry. You have the geography knowledge. You're always spouting off about boring trivia on the show. So you should have a segment where we talk about the feasibility of each of the destinations as a as a vacation spot. Like, is this some place you would want to travel to? And so I am bringing you a trivia quiz about Colombia. And we will, it is a very broad overview of Colombia, the country and its impact on American popular culture. So I have 10 questions in five categories and you can choose your category and then I'll read you each a question and you may answer your question. You get a point and then whoever's got the most points at the end of the game wins the satisfaction of a job well done. Is this oh. is this very Jeopardy-esque that we have to choose the, <laughs> the category? Is Are we just like fulfilling your own cathartic fantasy here, Jess? It's kind of, I'm, you know, it's been, it's been 14 years and I'm still a little salty about Jeopardy. So it's, I keep bringing the trivia. Listen, we're happy to live it out vicariously through you. So I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to get completely, uh, completely, you know, into the Columbia of it all. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because uh, Corey has been there infinitely more <laughs> for, times than I have. For 48 hours longer than you. Exactly. Yeah. It's true, but you're also both very up on popular culture. I feel like I feel like you'll do pretty well here. Well, there's nothing I love more than the satisfaction of a job well done. Indeed. <laughs> that that's why you ran two whole amazing races without winning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, who wants to go first here? You know what? I'll go. I'll go first. I'll test the waters here to okay. see exactly what we're in for. So, what are my categories? What's All right. My poison. Your categories are. Television, celebrities, film, food, and miscellaneous round things. <laughs> miscellaneous round things? That has me scared. Uh, so I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with celebrities. Let's see how well I know my my c Colombian pop stars. Okay. Well, that's interesting that you would say that, Mike. Uh, so <laughs> the way this works is we, ha we have two questions, and I'm going to read you the first question, and then Corey gets to answer the second question. So okay. question number one. Pop superstar Shakira was famous in her native Colombia and had topped the Latin pop charts numerous times before she released her first English language album and became famous wherever, whenever. What Cuban-American music legend not only translated the songs on that album into English, but also helped Shakira learn English? Okay, so there's a Cuban-American pop star who also helped Shakira learn English for whenever, wherever. Yes, yes. For her oh. album, Laundry Service. 
which was the first. That was her. That was the name of her album. Yes, that was the name of her album. Did she look at a sign outside her door and base her album based on that? I'm, I'm not sure, Mike. Like George Glass, <laughs> name an album. Okay. What Cuban American? I am going to say. I am going to say Ricky Martin. Ricky Martin is Puerto Rican, Mike. Darn it! <laughs> uh, the answer to that question is actually Gloria Estefan. Oh, that's what I would have said. All right, so Corey, the next question goes to you. Uh, The most famous native of Bogota, at least to U.S. audiences, is an actor who has appeared in dozens of movies over the course of his 35-year career, including Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, and the Ice Age and John Wick franchises. What's his name? Uh, Oh, my God. Um... I was my. I wanted to say uh, that John. Uh, what's his last name? But I don't know if that's right. Uh, well, John. La- what's his last name? Is technically uh, correct with an L. John Luigiamo. Yes. Yes. John Luigiamo. There, there we go. There we go. There All we go. right. Point goes to Corey. And now, Corey, it is your turn to pick the category. We have television, oh. film, food, and miscellaneous round things. <laughs> Let's go with TV. Okay. So. Here's your question. The Spanish language TV series Metastasis, which aired in 2014 and was set in Bogota, is a nearly scene for scene adaptation of what U.S. TV show? Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Dallas. Uh, Incorrect. (laughs) Uh, That is actually an adaptation of Breaking Bad. Oh, Oh, yeah, I heard. I remember hearing about that. They had it on Netflix for a while. We started watching it, but then it fell off of Netflix before we could get all the way through. How did how did it compare, at least to the first season of Breaking Bad? Well, it's really funny because there are so many Spanish, like, they really didn't try too hard. So the mm. main character is called Walter Blanco. <laughs> <laughs> and um, his, his accomplice is called uh, Jose Rojas. And, and, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, his wife's name is uh, Cielo Blanco, which is Sky White. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, the names were pretty funny. And then <laughs> it was just like watching. It was like watching people act out episodes of Breaking Bad. And it was just a little bit weird because they were different people from the people you remembered being in it. Right. So it's not like the Spanish dub. It's just people playing those roles and yes. speaking Spanish. Yeah. And they changed a few things like they they changed. There was a lengthy aside about the state of um, healthcare in Colombia and why he couldn't afford the cancer treatment, and mm. it was it was fun. I would have liked to have seen the whole thing. I would have loved to hear the adventures of Walter Blanco. Yes, see, I never saw uh, Breaking Bad our version, so I think you now I have to start. Now I have to start with the other one. Yep, I think you definitely have to watch the Colombian <laughs> first. Okay, so Mike, this question's for you. And brace yourself. This one's tough. Arguably. This one's tough? (laughs) Yeah. So brace yourself. Arguably, the most famous Colombian TV show is a telenovela that aired from 1999 to 2001 and inspired 26 international adaptations, including both a Spanish-language TV show on Telemundo in 2019 and an English-language series that aired from 2006 to 2010 on ABC. What was the name of the titular heroine on all three of those programs? Oh, my God. I thought you were going to ask the show. That would have been at least remotely within the realm of possibilities. How am I going to guess the... Um, because right, the well, name of the character is in the name of the show, Mike. This is actually easier. 
Oh, okay. So her. Oh, because I was going to go with passions, but that is and that is not the case. Uh, all right. So her name is in the title, and it was on the U.S. from 2006 to 2010. It was a soap opera. You said it was adapted from a telenovela. I would not say that. I mean, the U.S. one was a little bit soapy, but it was it was a dramedy. Oh, is the character's name Betty? Is that's, it Ugly Betty? That's right, Mike. You got it. Okay, good, good, good. All right. This now now I'm now it makes sense. Now okay. it doesn't feel as impossible as it was. <laughs> you just got to puzzle these things out, Mike. I suppose so. Okay, so I I, I cuz I knew it was based on a, a telenovela. I didn't realize it was from Colombia. Yeah, and they actually there there's a reboot on Telemundo last year, um which I didn't watch, but it looked it looked entertaining. It took place in New York, so all right, Corey, the is it your turn to pick or no, I think it's Mike's my turn. Okay, turn right, to Mike, it is your turn. Mike, it is your Give turn. Give me round pick. things. All right, miscellaneous <laughs> round things. Here we go, Mike. And I I think I think you'll get this one because I think you've seen this. All right. The Colombian sculptor Fernando Botero is known for his gigantic rounded bronze figures. New Yorkers know him best as the sculptor behind the pair of 20-foot high statues in the atrium of the Time Warner Center in New York City. What are these statues depicting? Oh, Lord. <laughs> this is like one of those New Yorker things of like, you never think about it until people ask about it. About never been to the Statue of Liberty. I haven't noticed the twin statues. Oh, boy. Because it's, yeah, it's right near Columbus Circle. I know that. But I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to take a guess and say that, that they're of Christopher Columbus and uh, his friend. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that they're not, to be fair. <laughs> but they are a naked man and woman. And the thing that you remember about them is that everybody that walks by them touches their genitals. And so all of the oh, finish has rubbed off yeah. and the genitals are very shiny. Mm, I mean, that's how you, you you're like, who needs, you know, maintenance when you have people, bystanders do it for you. Yep. They, they polish, they polish the you know the goods the goods every time they walk by <laughs> all right Corey. so this question is yours um when drug kingpin pablo escobar was arrested in 1993 four of his pets were abandoned on his compound and eventually oh. escaped into the wild where they have been thriving and multiplying ever since so it's it's happy for them it was good that they got abandoned ecologists now estimate that there's a herd of up to 80 of these animals living in western Colombia, although their ultimate ecological impact on the area is unknown. What kind of animals are these? <laughs> um, I'm just confused by the round <laughs> the category yeah, of round things. Um, uh, let's say a hedgehog. <laughs> That's a good guess, Corey. Um, and I guess like they're they're of the large animals; they're the most round. Um, oh. The answer is hippos. Oh wow! Oh wow! So they had four hippos just end up in the wild and populated yeah. Colombia with them. And it turns out that it's a pretty good climate for hippos, and so they just started breeding, and they can't really get rid of them, and they they tend to they're you know they're dangerous, so they tend Did to. He eat I have so many questions about the hippos that were his pets. <laughs> well, he was a drug kingpin and he had a lot of money to spend. And so he had this whole zoo on his property. Did, did, it's like did he Tiger hire King. Help? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, he was like <laughs> hippo man. Yeah, I mean, Michael Jackson had exotic animals on his property. I think when yeah, you have. Yeah, but not like four hippos. <laughs> yeah, when you have that much money, you kind of run out of things to spend it on. That's true. 
Is it one of those things where like you have to spend the money or else the government, I mean, the government would want him for many reasons, but I can imagine that, you know, spending his surplus in time is probably one of them. Like, you will take away your hippo money if you don't buy all those animals up by the time the quarter ends. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You got to blow that cash somehow. You don't, nobody knows how much a hippo costs, so you could like spend a lot of money on it and say, oh, yeah, someone gave me this. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's like a purebred hippo. So that's it's not crossbred with any elephants or anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's some drug kingpin that was... <laughs> crazy about trying to create hybrid animals on his farm. I don't know if that was Escobar. Somebody had a liger. Oh, Ooh. interesting. That sounds familiar. Why Why didn't nobody visit this in an amazing race? Why didn't they you know, search for Pablo Escobar's hippos in the jungle? Because hippos are like the most <laughs> deadly megafauna that there is out yeah, there. But, yeah, but it could have been like a stuffed hippo, you know? Like it could have been like a cardboard <laughs> cut out of a hippo and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm so scared about the hippos. Oh, wait, it's just, you know, uh, a little wooden plaque that had a hippo on it. I'm okay now. So you're going to so- Obama them in basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. So it's a plastic cow that you have to raise to a bell tower. Yeah, exactly. Yes, pull, exactly. A, pull the hippo <laughs> up to the top of Pablo Escobar's mansion. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm glad that that wasn't a real cow, for your sake, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, so we got uh, film and food left. Um, Let's go with film. Okay. Here's your question. Benjamin Bratt and Javier Bardem started a 2007 film adaptation of what 1985 novel by legendary Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Hmm. Uh, who were the actors? Uh, Benjamin Bratt and Javier Bardem. Uh, Javier Bar- Bardem sounds really familiar, but I can't place exactly who that is. He's the guy. Uh, he's the guy with like the. Cool haircut in No Country for Old Men. Cool haircut? I was going to say he was the bad guy, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, what was he in? I haven't seen him in or, anything since then. Or if you remember him in then. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was him. Uh, what year was the adaptation? 2007. Can you use it in a form of a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, well, it's, it's a famous um, book. Uh, I've, I'm actually not. I didn't even know they made a movie of this. You know, I can't read. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I have no clue. Okay. The the book is uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. It's like oh. a famous Colombian book. Okay. All right. Is that supposed to help? Yeah. <laughs> or that's, that's the answer? That's the answer. Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was supposed to help, and that it was oh, the it, actual. It was answer. on the tip of my tongue. Okay, I, you almost <laughs> got that one, Corey. It was a good effort. I was, thank you. <laughs> okay, Mike. Um, and and I bet Corey knows this one, so um, I think you got the easy one here. Name oh. the 1984 movie in which a romance novelist played by Kathleen Turner travels to Cartagena, Colombia. To rescue her kidnapped sister with help from a bird smuggler played by Michael Douglas. Oh, this is Romancing the Stone, baby. You got it, Mike. That is correct. Yes, featuring Danny DeVito. That's the only other thing I remember from Romancing the Stone. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. I feel oh, it's, like, very, it's really fun. I feel like it's supposed to be pretty good. Okay, and finally, we have food. And Mike, you're All up All right, first. so I guess, I guess I'm starting out with food here. I'm the aperitif. Yep. All right. If you ordered a chocolate santafereño or a chocolate completo in Colombia, you would be served a cup of hot chocolate that had what in the bottom of the cup? Ooh, 
I'm going to say, because it's Columbia, I'm going to say an emerald. <laughs> That's incorrect, Mike. No, darn it. <laughs> I, was, I was assuming that they just stick down your chocolate and there's the emerald that you get to keep. Yeah, that would be pretty great. It's like it's like the best Kinder Surprise egg of all time. Um, no, it is actually uh, the chocolate Santafereño has cheese in the bottom of the hot chocolate. Oh, God. I know, it's, right? Is it mixed in or is it just like a solid block of cheese at well, the bottom? Well, it melts because the chocolate is hot. So you have like, it's kind of a glob in the bottom. So it's sort of like a French onion soup version of a hot chocolate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, God. What kind of cheese, I wonder? I, I think it's like a locally produced thing. They said that the combination of sweet and salty is supposed to be really delicious. Hmm. Well, for the next time they go back to the Columbia on the race. Yeah, that could have been one of your, your I wouldn't say gross food roadblocks, because that would be uh, inappropriate to the culture. But like, imagine having to down a cup of hot chocolate with cheese at the bottom in a roadblock. I'm in. I, I'd try it. Honestly, if they had it in the airport, I'd probably waste some of my money on it. <laughs> Imagine Colin nursing a cup of hot chocolate with cheese on the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So finally, Corey, the last question goes to you. Um, what is the name of the fictional coffee purveyor who has appeared alongside his mule, Conchita, in advertisements for the National Federation of Coffee Growers of Columbia since 1958? What's his name? Yeah. What's his name? Uh... Carlos. <laughs> Good guess. Good guess, I was going to say. Yeah, but they, there's all these commercials for this guy with a mule, and for a while they pretended it was a real guy. And um, his name was Juan Valdez. <gasps> Juan oh. was my second choice. Oh, you should have guessed it. Ugh. <laughs> I don't drink coffee. Yeah, I don't either. What about hot? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Colombian coffee might have something at the bottom of it. Yeah, who knows what's at the bottom of that? More than an emerald. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would. I would drink the. I would be afraid of drinking the emerald. To be honest, that's true. It could be like a, a worm in a tequila bottle. You know, like maybe the the badasses swallow the emerald at the bottom of their cup of hot chocolate, or the the sour toe cocktail that they serve up in the up in the Canadian North. Mm, exactly. Are there toes in it? Yeah, <laughs> they have a preserved human toe that they put in the cocktail. Can I sign up to donate my toes? Yeah, yeah. They actually have. They have a program for that. <laughs> this is like cost per tote based on size. I, I don't know if there's any kind of compensation. I think you volunteer, but then no, you, no. I mean, like if I'm buying one, does oh. it like it costs more for a big toe versus like a mm, pinky? Oh yeah, it's like sized up, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they obtain them, but you don't drink the toe. You drink the <clears throat> cocktail and then you give it back. But oh. like, our toes <laughs> priced based on like, is it an attractive toe? Is there hair on it? What's the nail situation? Mm -hmm. well, I think you wouldn't want your nail to be painted. I feel like that would be toxic. I don't know. Or that could be decorative. You know, like it's a festive <laughs> occasion. I have a nicely painted toe in my glass. But it's going in your drink, Mike. You don't want to drink the nail polish. Yeah, but I want to, you know, come off pretty <laughs> couth of like, oh, I noticed that very festive looking toe in your drink. I think that's a lot better than like somebody's craggly old toe. I wanted, I wanted to have a little bit of panache to it. French tips. Exactly. I want, I want the pedicure. Oh my goodness! Well, th this I'll was... pay. I'll pay the extra for the mani pedi on the toe. <laughs> this came up on Amazing Race Canada. This is how I learned about it. I'm, I'm definitely researching this as soon as we're done. <laughs> the sour toe. <laughs> I, I think you're probably not the only one, Corey. 
All right. So that's my that's my Colombian trivia game. And Mike, you came out two points to one point. You are the winner. <sighs> it was a toe close. ahead, you might say. Yep. You won it by a toe. <laughs> amazing. Well, is there anything else that any one of us want to bring up about week two of the Amazing Race 32 before we bid ourselves adieu and listen to Jess's interview with Kelly and Levon? I think we've we've tackled so many things this week, Mike. And I, I my, my only question to you is, um, how much of this stuff do we get to take home with us? That's a good question. I don't I don't know. I don't know if we can take the toe home. I don't know if we can uh, take any of those naked statues alongside with us. But I think what we can take with us is a good time. And Corey, we had a great time having you on to give your uh, experience and knowledge of the amazing race. For people who want to check you out and your opinions on social media, uh, how can people follow you and check out all the other stuff you're doing in the podcast world? Yeah, uh, so I'm at Corey Cool pretty much everywhere online. That's K-O-R-E-Y-K-U-H-L. Um, and Tyler and I have our podcast every Tuesday, pretty much everywhere things are streaming, um, called Psychobabble. So you can definitely check that out if you want to hear more about what we've been up to post-race. Is there uh, anything pertinent that's coming up for you guys in terms of the stuff you're chatting about? Because it's usually just like a sort of what are you doing this week type of talk, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we've spent a lot of this year kind of talking about the election and and kind of politics, things that were going on um, and just kind of motivating some of our uh, younger listeners to be politically active. So that's that's been a big year of that. And um, I kind of think we're both looking forward to hopefully a more normal news cycle in the coming weeks. All right, Jess, what do you have going on? Um, Well, Mike, you and I yesterday got together to talk about the newest episode of Star Trek Discovery, which was a lot of fun. And then I'm going to be talking to Josh Wiggler tomorrow about Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead World Beyond. And again, one of those shows is actually pretty good this season, and one of them makes us want to stab our eyeballs. And I'm going to leave it to you to decide which one of those is which. Um, And then you can follow me for all of my takes on everything at Haymaker Hattie on the Instagram and the Twitter. And I appreciate anybody telling everybody to go vote because it's very, very important. I can imagine that like putting someone's toe in a drink is like something the governor would do. Am I wrong in saying that? (laughs) That's that's definitely governor material. Um, I am surprised that it's never come up, to be honest. There was a thing where they were there was a plot twist when Fear the Walking Dead was bad. There was a plot twist about like eating parts of zombie brains to get high. But Mm. (laughs) We'll save that for a delicacy in the in the near, maybe not, hopefully not too near future. Uh, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type. You can check out my own exit interview with Kelly and Levon over on Parade.com, as well as doing some Big Brother stuff, both in uh, written form with Exit Press and the B&B. Corey, your former Amazing Race 31 cast member, Nicole Franzel, is going to be in finale night of Big Brother 22, repping it for the Amazing Race. I know. She's there. <laughs> she certainly is there certainly she is. is there and well, and there's a lot to say uh, about her in a variety of speaking we are nearing finale week of big brother where there is so much going on here on rhp proper just spoke about our coverage of star trek also covering lost with josh wiggler on down the hatch and plenty of other stuff to be had on rob has a podcast proper including rob and akivanita podcast which just released a bonus episode covering the movie leprechaun 3 Rob also had a chat over the weekend with the great Sean Rector from Survivor Marquesas. 
great time to be had as we near the end of October, the spooky season, as it were, as we head into the Amazon next week. So Rob is going to be back joining Jess and myself uh, recording Thursday, I believe, again, due to the Big Brother finale to talk about episode three of The Amazing Race 32. And then before we know it, the weekend will come around once more and we're going to have another edition of The Tar Pits. That being said... If this episode is any indication, we are going to talk about literally anything and everything to do with The Amazing Race. So if you have any game ideas or segment ideas, feel free to either message us or email us, amazingrace at robhasawebsite.com. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to The Amazing Race Only feed on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice and become an RJP patron. Why don't you? And then maybe we can share more travel stories or more Columbia facts or maybe host a, a Walter Blanco host a viewing party for the first season if we can ever find it on Netflix. So without further ado, we're going to be back Thursday to talk about episode three of The Amazing Race 32. Thank you all so much for listening. And let's cut to Jess's interview with Kelly and LaVon. Hey, Kelly and LaVon, you're on with Jess from Rob as a podcast. How are you? Yes, what's up? Oh, I'm so I'm happy to be talking to you, but I'm really sad to be talking to you so soon. Uh, what what happened? Is this all down to rotten luck? It's not rotten luck. He's a terrible taxi driver. We we <laughs> he's the worst the worst kind of taxi driver ever. If if you know, like what does it take to be a good taxi driver? You know, as a job, and it would be to get people to their destination. In a timely manner. <laughs> and also have a phone charger. Two things. You had two tests. Oh, so what what exactly was that guy's issue? Was he did he just not know the area? Um we know he forgot his phone charger, but was there something else that was going on there? Even when the GPS was on, he wasn't following it. Oh boy. I was oh, convinced he hated yeah. us. He no. did, I'm like, did you hate us? Because the, the GPS would say, a la derecha, and he would just do the opposite, or he would keep straight, and he was like, no, this is faster because of traffic. But we, we were not faster. It was way slower. We were out of the way. To even get to the, the bearded man to show him our ship, we had to run because we, we just told him to park. And then we were asking people along our route, like, where is this place? And people are like pointing us in the right direction. Um, but we had to run a good 10, 15 minutes to even get there. Like, that's how far we were out of our direction. Like, he was just not great. And I don't like talking about people and saying they're not good at their job, but he, he might want a new profession. <laughs> and it seems like you had <laughs> seems like you had every possible uh, asset that you needed to get him to do his job. Because um, Levon, I know you ran for the Dominican Republic in the Olympics, and you seem to be fluent in Spanish. So it wasn't a communication thing; it was just a bad at his job thing. Yes, like it literally was the opposite of what I expected to happen in Colombia. I can speak Spanish. We're having a conversation. The conversation is going back and forth. This back and forth wasn't helping us. Oh, my goodness. So do you think if you had had a different cab driver, I would not be talking to you today? 100%. Because even though we get there late, all that stuff happens throughout the day, we still leave at the same time as Frankie and Jerry. So if we just, at bare minimum, follow them to the park and park at the same time, we could beat them to the match. 
all day. That's true. I don't I don't think anybody can go up against you in a foot race. And so I know that's also why other teams may have gunned for us or, you know, definitely would like us to be out. Um, because if there's a physical element, a running element, um, they would not win. So, I mean, I understand being like super calculated with things. It's a game. Of course. Uh, so you were really that close to Frank and Jerry uh, distance wise. Uh, it was hard. It's always hard to tell on the show. Like how many minutes behind do you think you were? Oh, by the time we got there, we were 30 minutes behind, but it was because we went the wrong way again. Right. And so you made up all of that time on the trucks. Yeah, all of it. Like we put that truck together. I would dare to say maybe faster than any other team um, because once we got there, people already had their trucks put together and we just kind of looked at each other. There was no kind of communication. We just knew it was time to go to work. And so we had that thing put together in the blink of an eye. Like I'm very impressed. I would love to know like time lapses on everyone's cash because <laughs> we threw that thing together super well. And it was, and it looked cute too. Yeah, I jumped inside of a dump truck. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Without question, I appreciate you as a partner and a friend. Oh, that's that's it's amazing. It did seem like you had such a great dynamic um, throughout the race. So one thing I did want to talk about, there's been a little bit of talk online about Leo and Alana's choice to help Kaylin and Haley at the end of the task. Uh, I was wondering if you had perspective on this. So we we've been responding to a lot of that because it, it's really easy to find bias in things just based on little snippets. Um, and although they had an alliance, which is the mind five that we didn't get into because of course we had a bad taxi the night before as well. Um, we just bad at taxi picking. I, I, know. Um, I wonder was it the same guy. We need to look at <laughs> Um, but so they chose them mainly because of the Mind Five Alliance, not because of even their. They gave a a kind word to implicit bias and people gravitating to people who are closer to them. But the truth was is that they actually had an agreement in advance. So you know, no harm, no foul to us. And like we don't feel any way about it. We love them. We love everybody that was on the show, yeah. um, <laughs> and hated to see how they were being attacked in, in our name. Like, oh, we wish you to stay. That you know, type thing. No, thank you. And I mean, yeah. we wish we would have stayed, obviously. But like, you know, it. I don't. Well, I know that Leo and Alana are not racist. You know, um, maybe you have bias. You're you gravitate to people who look like you or you may feel more comfortable with. Because um, at that point, we were all still really fresh in our relationship with each other, even though we all knew we loved each other from the beginning. Like it's just something weird, like when you can't talk to people, but you communicate through eyes. So crazy. But I mean, at the end of the day, like it's a game and they chose to work together and they chose each other. And, you know, it just, we didn't have them on our side and that's just, you know, how it goes. Like there's alliances on every show. That's what it's about. And I'll say it again, like spoiler alert. If you have not seen the amazing race, everybody's <laughs> eliminated at some point, like it's over. 
Um, so you better have as much fun as you can while you're on because it was so much fun. Like, I had a great time. It really looked like you were having the time of your life out there. And it also looked to me like you all overheard what the issue was at the trucks anyway. And the little extra help didn't seem to affect you, especially since, as you said, you did you did the task so quickly. Yeah, I'm super nosy. I can read lips really well. So I was inside the truck and I saw them mouth it and like point. And I was like, son of a, oh my God. So then we just jumped down there and got it. Um, So it it wasn't a huge deal. You know, it makes it look like more of a huge deal. Do we have ill will towards, you know, either team? No, I am performing the ceremony. So I am marrying Leo and Alana. Oh, like, Yes, that's how close we are. I will say the words and their second ceremony. So there's like literally no harm, no foul. Does it suck? Does it burn? (laughs) Absolutely. But they didn't cheat. So you can't be that mad. That's true. We shouldn't have been so far behind. Well, that's the taxi driver's fault, right? 100%. (laughs) Vandalista, that's his name. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, we're going to put him on blast, huh? <laughs> I, I, uh, let's not. But I can't believe she remembers his name. I find that to be hilarious. <laughs> I'll never forget. <laughs> Ruin my chance at another million dollars. Oh well, True. Let, we should find him. I'm just kidding. Just hunt him down. Yeah. Um, let, let's hope Evangelisa is not listening. Let's hope he's doing well. Right. It's been two years. He could have taken some better, some better navigation lessons. Or let's hope or he's charged his phone. He has a, yeah, a power cord in his car the whole time. Maybe he learned something too. Uh, so let's, let's hope. Yeah, you've mentioned that uh, you are you're going to be attending Leo and Alana's second wedding ceremony. Uh, who else have you stayed in touch with from the show? Everybody. Everybody. We are. We did a trip together to um, Austin last year as a group, mm-hmm. and then we went to Gary's house as a group. Yeah, like we are super close. Oh, that's... We have a group chat that we talk on every day, even before this aired. We talk, and so we've been we've been very thankful to CBS and the show for bringing us together as like the most unlikely to know each other group. Of people. <laughs> <laughs> seriously like these people have become like so close to me and important to me and we would have I, I could have walked by them on the street and never spoken to them never even seen them never anything so i think that's like one of the coolest aspects of doing this mm-hmm. oh that's that's wonderful plus i have to imagine that there for two years you couldn't talk about it with anybody else so that had to have brought you together as well <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I know that uh, both of you are I'm so... I'm not as good at secrets. I'm really sad about it. It, <laughs> it, was, it was burning me up on the inside. Oh. Oh. oh, well, what what did you what did you tell people you were doing when you went on the show? You know, I don't think I told anybody anything. Like, of course, like me my either. husband knew. But I, I, I kind of just disappeared for a month. <laughs> Same. Because the people who are like very close to you have to sign NDAs as well, so they can't tell anybody. And anybody who isn't that close to me didn't need to know where I was going anyway. Yep. 
Oh, that's great. So I want to. That's a great question. I never thought about that. Like, where did people think that we went? (laughs) (laughs) And did they care? This is what. No, we need to talk about this. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Well, it's two years ago at this point. They probably forgot. I'm petty, so I want to know. (laughs) I got to put out a tweet about this. Amazing. I will. I'll I'll boost the signal for you. Thank you very much. So I wanted to back up and talk a little bit about last week, because I know there was some talk that um, that when you were deciding who was going to do the roadblock, um, you may have picked the wrong person. Uh, Did you have a similar conversation in Colombia or did you have any kind of roadblock strategy going in? Our roadblock strategy initially was we're just going to alternate. We alternated in the wrong order, though, because obviously I was in the band, so a little bit more musically inclined in terms of like dealing an instrument. And then, like, I am not a risk taker. The hype thing, not really into it. Um, So, yeah, we definitely went the other way around, but because we already agreed to it, it was like, get it done. Your partner is relying on you to not mess this up or be a punk about it. So go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So I got one more question for you. Um, I I, I got to know how many times have you hugged since this all went down? None. None. Have we hugged? <laughs> um. No. 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 <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I hugged her son a lot. That's it. Yes, he's very huggable, and he loves, oh my gosh, he loves LaVon so much. He calls her bruh, and he loves her, and so that's fine. That's, we can hug by osmosis through him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the proxy hugger. That's it. Yes. He's a very loving child. Oh, that's that's fun. Uh, then what, what are your actual love languages then? So it's clearly not touch. <laughs> Mine is quality time. So we spend a lot of quality time together. Like we sit and watch these random shows or documentaries and have drinks and make guacamole. And it's like great. And I think mine is probably acts of service. Like if I'm doing something for you, like you know that I really care about you because I also value my time a lot. So I'm just not going to just waste it if I could be alone by myself. Since no one told me when you have a kid, like alone time is over. So if I'm doing something or going out of my way for you, like that's like how you know that like I really love you and I value you. Yeah, I, I hear that. I've got a four year old, so <laughs> it's over for your for your space, time, food, anything. <laughs> it's true. It's like you're trapped in a salt mine sleepover all the time. Every time, yes, and they and they don't care. They just want to be closer to you. But I love it because I know there'll be a day where he thinks I'm not as cool as I am now. So I'll soak it up now. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. So I know you both are so accomplished and you have so much going on all the time. So what else are you up to right now? Uh, well, we're petitioning for our own show because we're so much fun. <laughs> And so we we got the pilot like mapped out in our minds. Um, but besides that, um, I work in strategic partnerships for um, a tech company, and then I host lots of stuff. I'm always hosting TV shows and podcasts, X, Y, and Z. So I'm like all over the place, running like a crazy person. 
um, while raising kids and all of that. So it is super busy time for me. <laughs> um, I run a, a real estate investment fund and we've been just building momentum around the fact that there's a lot of distressed assets and people who need a lot of help. So just in the affordable market and I, been enjoying social distancing just as a way to get organized and um i've launched my book during social um what is this called during the coronacation that we've been having that's what um, we're calling it jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, help us um, oh my and so other than that doing some virtual consulting things and education things with other professional athletes on real estate and hoping to continue to grow that into like peer mentorship. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've been doing. Oh, is that all? Work out. (laughs) wants to come work out with me. I'm in South Florida. (laughs) Now I think we could all use some workouts after six months inside. Right? Inside with your snacks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and alcohol. Doesn't make it any greater. Well, we're fine. We got it. Yeah, well, you're doing great. And I, I got to say, when you get that show, that is a show I will definitely watch. Um, we're going to hold you to it. Oh, you were definitely so much fun. And uh, we would love to have you back on the podcast for longer discussion at some point. So. All right. So thank you so much for being with us. And um, hopefully we will talk to you again soon in the future. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You have a good one. You too. 